stand accused and there's a list of monologue of all my sins of everything that I've done wrong I'm so ashamed there's nowhere left for me to hide this is the day I must answer for my
After the, uh, after the service, this afternoon we'll be taking up an offering um, to uh, help with the uh, uh, candy needs that we'll have at the Fall Praise Festival. And so um, uh, if, uh, if you need to, uh, if you feel like you're falling asleep, might be a good opportunity to rummage through your purse, you know, wake up a little bit and uh, uh, see if you got some uh, extra help so that we can uh, provide some candy for the kids at that event. And so we'll be taking that up afterwards. All right, First uh, Samuel chapter number 5, if you would, please. First Samuel chapter number 5. First Samuel chapter number 5. And uh, just to remind us of what's happened, the uh, Philistines and Israel have, uh, have fought a battle. And the, uh, you uh, remember, I, I'm sure that you remember that uh, Eli uh, was killed and his two sons were killed in battle. And, uh, and be, beside all of that, uh, an even greater loss was the loss of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, from Israel, it had been stolen from Israel by the Philistines, and it had been taken to uh, the Philistines' camp, where we'll read today. And uh, and, and we see that the uh, one of the um, and, uh, or descendants rather of of Hophni and Phinehas uh, was named Ichabod. The glory of the Lord has departed, and uh, and so we see that Israel is at a pretty low spot when we when we see when we find them in First Samuel chapter number five. They're in a pretty poor spot. And, uh, and so let's look at then at 1 Samuel as we've been caught up, 1 Samuel chapter number 5. And uh, we're going to consider chapter 5 and chapter 6. So you're going to get like nine chapters of the Bible today uh, preached, seven this morning and only two this afternoon. So I'm letting you off a little, early, uh, letting you off a little easy. Uh, but uh, chapter 5 and chapter 6 today as we consider what happens to the ark and uh, as, uh, what happens to Israel because of it. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse number 1. And the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. And when the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it unto the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when they of Ashdod arose early on the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him in his place again. And when they rose up early in the morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both of the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any that come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod unto this day. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashdod, and he destroyed them and smote them with emeralds, even Ashdod and the coast thereof. And when the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, they said, The ark of the God of Israel shall not abide with us, for his hand is sore upon us and upon Dagon our God. They sent therefore and gathered all the lords of the Philistines unto them and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be carried about unto Gath. Let somebody else handle this. Let somebody else take part of the fun that we're having. So they sent it to Gath. They carried it uh, to. Uh, they carried the ark of the God of Israel about thither, and it was so that after they had carried it about, the hand of the Lord was great against the city with very great destruction. He smote the men of that city, both small and great, and they had emeralds in their secret parts. Verse number ten. Therefore, they sent the ark of God to Ekron. And it came to pass as the ark of God came to Ekron that the Ekronites cried out, saying, They have brought about the ark of God of Israel to us to slay us and our people. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it go to his own place. 
that it slay us not and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. And the men that died not were smitten with the emeralds, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. Father, thanks so much for everything you've given to us, and Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to uh, continue in our study of 1 Samuel, and uh, Lord, I ask you would help us to uh, learn uh, from, this, uh, from this account of the Ark of, the God, of, the Ark of God and, and uh, the travels that it took and, and uh, the effect that it had on the people that it, that it touched, and uh, Lord, I ask you to speak to our hearts and help us to become more like you, and we love you and ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we see in chapter number 5 that uh, the Philistines had, they had captured the Ark of God and they brought it and they put it uh, to us, and we understand this, in just about the worst place that it could have been. Uh, if, they, if they thought that their gods were secure, uh, they should not have put the Ark of God with their gods. Uh, they shouldn't have done it. It was a bad move on their part. Uh, because God will, God will have the victory. Uh, God will have it, uh, and it doesn't matter how it how it happens. He will have the victory, and so for him to have been for the Ark of God to have been put into the uh, temple of Dagon was a pretty bad move. And we see what happens that that they put the Ark of God into the temple of Dagon, and and it isn't just that it just sat there. And uh, you understand that this would have been a sign of the victory of their armies that they would have uh, that they would have captured the the symbol of the God of Israel and would have put it among their gods. Uh, as a trophy. Look at what we did. Look, look at how we conquered the people of Israel. We took their source of strength. We took their source of comfort. They, we took their victory from them and they, they put it with their God who would supposedly have given them victory. Uh, but they, they put it in the temple and, and what happens? Well, the first night the, the, uh, the statue of Dagon falls down. Uh, and I'm reminded of Philippians chapter number 2 that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow one day. Uh, and we see even hints of that in this story, that, that Dagon will not be above the Lord God, that because there's only one Lord, and He is in heaven, He is almighty, He is above all. And so Dagon, the statue, falls down, and we understand Dagon's not a real God, uh, and so it isn't that Dagon himself fell down, He's, that's just a name for a, for a piece of metal, but the, the statue falls down. And, uh, and so we see that they rose up early in the morning, and they bring it, and they put him back up. Oh, no, you know, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure what they could have thought, right? Oh, a, a wind must have fall, blown through and made the, made the statue fall over. We don't know what could have happened. And so they thought, think it was an accident, I'm sure. And so they set it back up, and, and what happens? Well, the next night, the statue falls down again, but it doesn't just fall down. Uh, the hands are broken off, and that's a theme as you look through First uh, Samuel 5 and 6. It's kind of a theme of the, uh, a recurring word is the word hands, and the hands of different people, and the hands of different things. And so it says that the, the hands of Dagon were cut off. The, the idea that Dagon had any power was taken out. The, the fact that, or the thought that the Philistines would have had, that Dagon would have given them any victory, was cut off. God said, there's no way that Dagon did this, I did this. And so Dagon's hands were cut off, and, and even you notice there at verse number 6, you know, that it says the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them. Uh, Dagon's hands will be cut off, but my hand is all-powerful, and my hand will have victory over all. And so uh, that's what God, and that's, so that's the meaning there, verse number 6, the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashdod, and he destroyed them. And he smote them with emeralds, even Ashdod and the coast thereof. Some of my friends uh, say that emeralds is hemorrhoids, and some say that it's tumors, and, and I, I don't know which way to lean, but whatever it is, there was physical ramifications to their spiritual condition. That's what it was, that there was physical ramifications to their denial of who God was. They, they, they were affected. 
physically. And so God, God destroyed part of these people from, from Ashdod. And, and so they said, we're not having this. We're not going to deal with this. We're going to send it to some of our friends, and they can deal with it. They can suffer what we've suffered. And so they send it, and we have only three cities here listed in chapter 5. and chapter 6, uh, we see that uh, among Ashdod and Gath and Ekron, there's also two other cities uh, that are mentioned in chapter 6 where it went to uh, Ashdod and, and Geza and Ascalon and Gath and Ekron. Five cities of, Phil- of the Philistines uh, dealt with the Ark of God in their midst. And the Ark of God in their midst was not a blessing to them. It, it wasn't. It was not a blessing. It destroyed them. It had negative physical ramifications upon them. And it's all because of this. The Philistines treated God lightly. They did not respect God. They they did not care who He was. They did not care what He could do. They said, we're just going to put Him among the rest of our gods. Our small G gods. We're just going to put him among the rest of our statues. It doesn't matter if he, can, if he is real. It doesn't matter what he can do. It doesn't matter who he is. Uh, he's just another one of the things that we can capture. It's just another one of the things that we can control. He, they treated God lightly. Now, I'm sure that that's not surprising to you because the Philistines are pagan people. I wouldn't have expected the Philistines to treat God very highly. That's not who they are. They are false worshipers. They're worshipers of false gods. And so it it makes sense that they would treat God lightly. Uh, And so we see that it it continues on in chapter number 6. And the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners saying, What shall we do to the ark of the Lord? Tell us wherewith we shall send it to his place. Where, Where can we send this to get rid of this? We're sick of being destroyed. We're sick of being sick. We're sick of the hand of God being against us. Where can we send it? How do we get rid of this thing? How do we send it back to where it belongs? And so they said, verse number 3, If you send away the ark of, uh, the, ark of the God of Israel, send it not empty. Now that's, that's a good thing that they did. And notice how they, how they accomplished this. In any wise return him a trespass offering, then ye shall be healed. And it shall be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. And they said, what shall be the trespass offering which shall return to him? Now this is a, a little peculiar, a little strange, but it was the best that they could do. Right? It was the best they could do. They said, we've got to do something in order to treat God the way he deserves. In order to not return empty-handed, in order to obey the Lord as best as we can, as best as we know how, here's what we're going to do. Verse number 4, they answered, five golden emeralds and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for one plague was on you all and on your lords. And so they make, they make images of either these hemorrhoids or these tumors. They make a gold statue of this, and they make a gold statue of mice, uh, five of each of them, and they say, this is going to be our trespass offering to the Lord. We're, it was not a light offering. They made them out of gold. and they, they, they sacrificed for this to happen. And it's peculiar, but it's the best that they knew. They didn't have the book of Leviticus to line up what a trespass offering was. They didn't have what an offering was. They didn't have what a sacrifice would have been. Uh, and so that's, that's what they did. But they said... We will not turn it away. We will not return it empty-handed. We won't just send it back. We are going to honor the Lord. We are honoring the God of Israel as best as we know how. 
And so they sent it back with these, with these golden statues. Wherefore, uh, verse number six, uh, or the end of verse number five, peradventure, he will lighten his hand from off of you and from off your gods and from off of your land. Wherefore then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptian and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? When he had wrought wonderfully among them, did they uh, not let the people go and they departed? Now therefore make a new cart and make two milch kine and on which there hath come no yoke and tie the kind to the cart and bring their calves home from them and they take the ark of the Lord and lay upon the cart and put the jewels of gold which ye return him for a trespass offering in a coffer by the side thereof and send it away that it may go and see if it goeth by the way of his own coast to Beth Shemesh then he hath done us this great evil but if not then we shall know that it is not his hand that smote us it is a chance that happened to us and so they kind of test the Lord so here's what they, they take the offering and they take the ark of God and they build a cart uh, so that they can put it on and they're not gonna they're not going to escort it back home they're just gonna send it on this cart that's tied to two brand new oxen they tie it they, these oxen have never been uh, they've never been tied up they've never been a part of a pulling team they've never been part of any of that they're brand new and so they they tie this cart and they load the Ark of the Covenant on top of it and they put the trespass offering with it. And here's what they say. If these oxen go straight to Beth Shemesh, uh, straight to where the Ark is going to go, where we want it to go, then we'll know that God was, was against us, but now he is not against us. And if it stops and if it doesn't go to Beth Shemesh, then we'll know that this was just, a, this was just all a coincidence. So they kind of t- are testing God here. They say, if, if this happens, we'll know that it was God. And if this happens, we'll know it was just a coincidence. It just happened to us. It was just happenstance. And so they, they do this and know that God will be treated correctly. And God will have the glory of his name. And so what does God do? He makes sure the oxen go to Beth Shemesh. He'll make sure that the Philistines know, this was me. I was against you. But now I am not against you. Now, this is not uh, for the entirety of the Philistine history. We know that the Philistines are God's enemies, but they did this correctly, uh, as correctly as they could. And so God's hand was on them, but now it is not on them. Uh, and so the, these, these, uh, these oxen, and they go to Beth Shemesh. The men did so, verse number 10, uh, verse number 12. And the kine took the straight way to the way of Beth Shemesh. And went along the highway, lowing as they went, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them unto the border of Beth Shemesh. They were, they were tracking it. They were making sure. They, were kind of, they weren't leading the oxen, but they were just making sure. They were following far off. We, we want to make sure that this whatever happens, uh, we, we need to know. And so they, they follow it. And so verse number 13, we find that the people of Beth Shemesh, uh, they, were weeping, they were reaping in their wheat harvest in the valley, and they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, and they rejoiced to see it. The people of Beth Shemesh, these were people of Israel. These were God's people. I, I'm sure you would be happy too if you were in their shoes. These were the people of Israel that for, uh, for many months had been without the ark of the covenant. With many, for many months, they had been without the, the physical uh, representation of God's presence. That they, had been, they had felt alone. They had been by themselves. And now these people of Beth Shemesh say, God has finally come back to us. And they were rejoiced to see it. I would be too. Uh, they, and the cart came to the field of Joshua, a Beth Shemite, and stood there, where there was a great stone, and they claved the wood of the cart, and offered the kind of burnt offering unto the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord, and the coffer that was with it, where, uh, wherein the jewels of gold were, and put them on the great stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings, and sacrificed sacrifices the same day 
unto the Lord. And so then we find a little, uh, a little flashback to what has happened in the next few verses, 16, 17, uh, and 18. And, uh, and so we see this, that the people of Bethlehem were happy. They take the oxen and they make a, they make a, a sacrifice, they make an offering to the Lord uh, because they were rejoiced. They were rejoiced that they had the presence of God back. But notice that they didn't do everything correctly either. I, I would imagine that the Philistines pretty easily would have not done the right thing. They are not God's people. But the people of Beth Shemesh are God's people. And so they should have known better. But notice what they do in verse number 19. And he smote the men of Beth Shemesh, the God's people, who just sacrificed the oxen. He, he smote them because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. Notice this. He even smote of the people 50,000 and threescore and ten. 50,070 people from Beth Shemesh died because they looked into the ark of God. What did they do? They treated God lightly. We would, we would expect that from, from Philistines, wouldn't we? They are not God's people. They, they would not have known the law. They would have not have known what God expected of them. For, so for them to treat God lightly, it just makes sense. But these are God's people. And they said, we're going to do what we're going to do. It doesn't matter what God expects of us. It doesn't matter uh, what, what is written in the law. It doesn't matter what, what God desires for us. We want to look inside the Ark of the Covenant, even though they were not supposed to. We, we expect the Philistines to treat God lightly. But what a condemnation for God's own people to say, it doesn't matter what God wants, I'm going to do what I want to do. Doesn't that follow the theme that we've seen through 1 Samuel? That those who choose to do what God wants them to are honored. That those who honor me, I will honor. Right? First Samuel chapter 3. We saw that. And so they say this in uh, the, Beth, uh, uh, and, uh, the, the end of chapter nine, or verse number 19. And the people lamented because the Lord had smitten many of the people with the great slaughter. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall he go, uh, and, and to whom shall he go up from us? And, and they sent messengers to the inhabitants of uh, Kirjath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have brought again the ark of the Lord. Come ye down and fetch it up to you, uh, similar to the Philistines. We don't want to handle this anymore. You guys better come and get it. And the, the men of uh, Kirjath-Jerim would have been uh, part of the Levite tribe, and they would have had uh, the authority to take care of the Ark of the Covenant. They would have had the, that authority. And so they said, why don't you come down and why don't you get it? And so we expect the Philistines to treat God lightly, but we don't expect that from God's people. Or at least we shouldn't expect it from God's people. But God's people treated him lightly. They said, we're going to do whatever we want to do. We're going to, if we want to look into the ark, we'll, we're going to look into the ark. If we want to, uh, and we'll even see this a little bit later, if we want the ark of God to ride on, the, uh, ride on a cart instead of carrying it like we're supposed to, then that's what we're going to do. We'll see that, I think, in chapter uh, 15 or 16 or 17. Uh, and so we see that God's people, God's own people, treated him lightly. They came with a casual attitude before the very presence of the Almighty God. A casual attitude. And so we find that this lasts for a long time, chapter number 7, the first couple of verses here. And the men of Kirjath-Jerim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it unto the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass, while the ark abode in Kirjath-Jerim, that the time was long, for it was twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. For twenty years, 
they were riddled with this idea that we're not going to put God's ark where it's supposed to be. We're just going to keep it where we want it to be. Eventually it got to them. It says they lamented. And we'll see that Samuel helps them and uh, Samuel uh, will lead them to how God wants them to act in chapter number 7. But we see for 20 years they were fine with treating God's ark, treating the presence of God however they wanted to. God's own people treated God casually. And I, I have to imagine that there's some pretty obvious application for us today, isn't there? That we would come and even thinking about how the Philistines did it. They, they, they treated God casually in the place of their worship. In the place of their worship. And so how often do we come to our place of worship and treat God casually? We'll, we'll, just, ca- we'll just casually walk in uh, whenever we get there. Whenever we get there, that's when we'll get there. And we'll start when we get there. We, we treat God casually. Uh, Sunday school teachers... Preparing God's word for the people that will listen to you. That's a very serious responsibility. In whatever, for whatever age you're teaching. For whatever age you're delivering God's word. That's a very serious responsibility. And, and we ought to take that very, uh, very, it's a very high responsibility. And we ought not to take it casually. It's a very serious job. And so do you take God casually in this place of worship? How, um, even uh, just, just to speak of practical things. How, how you prepare special music. Right? We're singing to a holy God. And we wait until the week before to say, oh, you know what? I'm singing next week. I better find something. Right? And I'm not getting onto anybody in particular. I'm just thinking about practical things in our church. Right? Where we ought to treat God with the highest respect, not just because, of we, not just because we should, but because He is worthy of that. He is worthy of the highest regard that we can ever conjure up in our spirits. He is, he is worthy of the highest respect that we could give to Him. Uh, every aspect. Uh, the sound booth, right? We ought to treat God very respectfully from the sound booth. That's an important job. And God deserves the very best for His people that come to His house to worship Him. God deserves that. But it's not just church, right? In your family, as you raise parents, as you raise your family, uh, is God a casual thing that you just kind of tack on at the beginning of a meal where you, you say, you know, what, we, you know, I forgot, we better pray for the meal. We've, you know, we've already ate half the meal, but uh, we better stop and we better pray. Right? No. It's God Almighty. And we, He deserves the respect of stopping and thanking Him for the provision that He doesn't have to give us. Do we treat God casually? Not in, only in our church and our families. Uh, teenagers, are you treating God casually in your life? How often is it that you go an entire day without even thinking about what God wants you to do? Not even a single thought. How does God want me to respond to this? How does God want me to do this? Does God want me to do this or does He not want me to do this? Uh, what does God say about the thing that I'm desiring here? And we go entire days or sometimes weeks without even considering what does God want for me? But you're his people, and he should not be treated casually. Not just in your family life, but in your, in your individual life, in your church life, uh, at work, uh, at school. Whatever it is, every area of your life, every aspect of your life should be marked by the people, as people of God that we treat God with the highest respect because he deserves it. We expect that from the Philistines. We expect that from people who are not his own. We expect that from the world, right? And we see that. The world does not treat God very highly. 
But that's who they are. They are not God's people. But we are God's people. And so I want to encourage you this afternoon that you would treat God, not casually, but with the utmost and highest respect and worship, because He is worthy of it. He is worthy of it. Father, thank you so much that you are worthy of our worship. And help us not to be, uh, help us not to be guilty of the same thing that the Philistines were guilty of. Help us not to be guilty of the same thing that the Israel was guilty of. And help us not to be guilty of the same thing that this world is guilty of, of treating you so casually. Lord, in every area of our lives, in our church life, our family life, our work life, help us to treat you with the esteem and the respect that you are so worthy of. I ask that you'd help us in this time of invitation, that you would speak to our hearts, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As the piano begins to play, as we stand to our feet, do you treat God casually, or do you respect Him and worship Him the way He deserves? As Jay sings, verse number one, I'll live for Him. an offering to help with the uh, candy for the kids. So uh, we don't uh, officially celebrate Halloween, but uh, we do have a time where we like to uh, have some candy for the kids. That's what this offering is for. Uh, the cells are always so kind to go and get it, put it in bags, and give it out at uh, the Fosters, and so uh, that'll be the goal of that. Uh, while you're preparing, just mention that we have ladies' meeting coming up on the 20th at 7 o'clock. Catch the Pirate uh, will be October 23rd in the afternoon service. Fall Praise Festival on the 29th out at the Fosters will begin at 4.30. There's a sign-up sheet on the back table. Signed up for that. I had a guy today ask me, what's this Fall Praise Festival? So I just told them, uh, the foster is so kind, open door. We go out there about 4.30, usually cool. Um, they have a bonfire and uh, have a message that goes with it. And uh, we bring all kinds of food, have a potluck, and just a good time fellowship. You pay right. Uh, so 
that. There'll be a team fundraiser on the 31st. Uh, so we lunch that day, the 30th. Okay. So you don't have to come in on Halloween on Monday. Sunday. That's All right. So uh, we'll have a team fundraiser for lunch that day. Uh, and Brother Chuck will have more details about that as we get closer. Uh, ladies Thanksgiving, November 5th, and uh, Daylight Saving Time on the 6th. Today we'll be acknowledging the 15th. All right. Uh, let's go. Play. that uh, with the uh, vote last Sunday that uh, we voted to get the sign out of Florida. So Brother Chuck has started back and forth with them uh, to uh, get approved and get that approved and so forth. Uh, so thank you for that, for the vote. And then also Deacon's trustees will meet Wednesday night following. Okay, let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer. It is together uh, today. Great day for you. Presence. Brother Jim. Heavenly Father, we thank you.